Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. Good to see you. Likewise. How are you, Chris? Doing good, doing good. And just want to jump into it today because I just have a feeling this is going to be a, a, a hot topic. This, this will be one of our, our most downloaded podcasts because understanding a hay analysis, it, it, it takes me back to graduate level equine nutrition, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. I think it's an underutilized tool for sure. It is. It is. And it's just, so today we're going to, we're going to walk our listeners through this. You know, what do these values mean? What do these, some of these words mean? Because again, going back to that nutrition class, you know, some of your, my eyes would glaze over at some of this stuff. So we're going to, we're going to explain this very well for you today. And just to start it off, Nicole, I, I think it's, it would be a great start in telling our listeners why they'd want to even test their hay. Yeah, you know, I think one thing that tends to happen is we get really focused on the nutrient values of the things that come in bags and buckets and pouches. So your feed, your supplement, all of those things, and we research them really heavily, we compare them. And yet a lot of times we don't think about what nutrients are coming from the biggest part of the horse's diet, which is their forage. So if we go ahead and do a hay analysis, it just helps us better understand what our horse is eating. And sometimes it can kind of explain some things that maybe our horse has lost weight or on the breeding side, we might be having some issues that don't make sense. And just having that information is so helpful. Right. And should owners do this regularly? You know, is it on any hay shipment they get in or just do sporadically once or twice a year? Yeah, that is a great question. And I know, I mean, so as a nutritionist, like I would love to know the exact analysis for all hay of every horse I'm working with. And I realize that's not always possible. You know, maybe you're only buying very small quantities of hay such that by the time the results from a test came back, you would have fed through that hay. So I think the times that it'd be really important to think about a hay analysis, one, if you have a breeding operation, there are a lot of things nutrition-wise that we can tweak and really do a good job of balancing the overall diet to decrease your risk of developmental orthopedic disorders, but we have to know what the hay looks like. So absolutely for breeding animals, if we are kind of troubleshooting, like things just don't seem to be working out right or there's been some shift. Even if we know that you only buy three months of hay at a time, when we're troubleshooting, it can be really helpful to go ahead and grab that analysis so we can have a good understanding of what is the horse eating today? How do they look? What changes what might you need to make? And then finally, if you have a horse that has equine metabolic syndrome, we've done a couple past podcasts that have talked about this, but the only way for us to know the sugars in that forage is through testing. So for that reason, with those horses, it'd be really important. And honestly, they're really sensitive ones. You would want to test all of your hay because that's such a risk factor that we wouldn't have control over anyway. So you can't manage what you don't know. That's a good point. It's a good point. And say I do want to go ahead and get my hay analyzed. Where do I even go? Like, you know, I, I mean, obviously everybody can Google these days, but you know, if, if, if you gave advice, like where's the best place to go to, to get their hay analyzed? 
There are multiple different labs, so I don't necessarily recommend one specific one, um, but there are lots of different labs and they're based regionally. A lot of times like your local feed store could tell you what's in your region or your county extension office, but you know, any of the labs should be able to give us the information that we need and do a good job. It's just making sure that we prep the sample correctly, send what we need to make sure you get good results back. Right. And how would they do that? So like, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I have some hay in, I want to get a hay sample. Should I just grab it off the top, stick it in a bag and and mail it? Like if you could walk our listeners through the process of collecting a good hay sample, preparing it, and then sending it off. Sure. Because I think this is really the most important thing. If we're going to do this, we want to make sure and get a representative sample. Because we know that even within hay coming from one field, there's going to be variation. There'll be low spots, there'll be high spots, there'll be spots that are a little thinner. So for that reason, what we want to do is get a representative sample. Ideally, you wouldn't do a grab sample. You would use what's called a hay core. And what it does is it goes in through the end of the bale and it grabs about an inch diameter of sample that goes like half of the length of a small square. And that lets you get a more representative sample of a single bale. And then ideally what you would do is sample either 10 bales or 10% of the lot of hay. And you would separate them by, if I get first cutting from Farmer John, I'd get a representative sample of first cutting from Farmer John. And then if I bought second cutting, I would get a separate sample for that. So that way that I can keep them separate and get good results from each. But Unfortunately, like a single grab sample can give you some weird results because of that variability. No, yeah, that, that, that's good advice. And then do you know just off the top of your head, like how much this would cost on average? I know it different across labs. Yeah, so usually between 20 to $30 plus the cost generally to send the sample so to mail it. But overall, I think it's a very inexpensive investment into better understanding your horse's diet, particularly when we're talking about, you know, a sensitive horse or a growing horse, that's money well spent to understand that. That's a good point. I'm like 20 or $30 on a simple hay test. That's going to give me the majority of my horse's diet, the information I need to make decisions. So it's, it's a no brainer. Again, why I think this this particular podcast is really important and why I think it will be one of our top downloads just because it's something everybody needs to be doing uh, with their animals. Absolutely. And to take that a step further, to buy a hay court, I mean, sometimes you can borrow them from your feed store, from your extension office. They're about $100. They will literally last forever. I am positive that throughout my educational career specifically, that some of those hay cores that I use were older than I am. But, you know, that's something you <laughs> you buy once and you would have forever and you'd be able to get a good sample for a small investment. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I remember grad school, some of the stuff we had. I was like, how old's this saddle? This is like World War II. <laughs> it's so old. All right. Now to get into the nitty gritty. What does the hay analysis tell us? And I know this can be a little convoluted, but we're going to walk you through it. I think my first question is when I look at this, you know, across labs, because they're, they're going to include information. Some labs will include information that others won't, but generally they include a lot of the same stuff. So I guess my first question is when I see something that 
it says as sampled versus dry matter. Can you kind of explain what that means? And I guess the moisture content, right? It, it's kind of addressing that and what that means. Correct. So if you looked at a feed tag for a bag of grain, all of that information is given as sampled or as fed. That means that we haven't accounted for the water in it and taken that out. When we're doing nutrition research, for example, we always put everything on a dry matter basis because ingredients will vary in their moisture content and it just lets us look at things as apples to apples. Hay on average is going to be about 90% dry matter. So when you look at the as fed and the dry matter columns, they don't change all that much. So for the most part, you can look at the as fed because you're going to be able to think about that in the same terms that you would a feed tag for a bag of grain. However, I do caution people to always look at the moisture content because on average it's about 90% dry matter or 10% moisture, but there will be some variability. And really the number one indicator of hay quality and really the ability to feed hay safely is at what moisture it was put up at. So if your hay is put up too wet, it is not safe to feed a horse. So what ends up happening is first there's some fermentation and you get these end products and fermentation that can cause issues. And then given even a short amount of time, hay will start to mold if it is too wet. So we'd like to see hay usually somewhere between eight to say 16, 17% moisture. It can be a little bit higher if a hay preservative was used. So up to 20% moisture, but when you're on that higher end of the scale, generally a preservative like propionic acid would be used to prevent mold. But if it's above 20% moisture, it's too wet. We just simply aren't gonna be able to safely feed that to horses even if a hay preservative was used because it is going to mold. And I can give you tons of different examples of where we have tested hay and then done mold specific analysis to see how much mold was in hay when we've had trouble on farms with horses colicking and things like that. And that moisture of the hay is a key indicator that it's going to be moldy. Well, yes, that's exactly where my mind was going was mold it's almost like i know this would be a, an entire another podcast but like you know dealing with silage while silage can be not an acceptable feed for horses right like it's just it, you worry about that if you're like oh, i don't know if this hay analysis thing seems interesting that's okay if you shut it off now as long as the big takeaway you take is making sure that your hay is dry enough there are some other things that can go wrong but by far that's going to be your biggest indicator of whether or not horse hay is acceptable Right. Well, give us 10 more minutes. There's some other important mean, please, stuff to please cover. Please do, but <laughs> if you take away nothing yes, else, I know, I know, I know. take away this. That's a great, it's a great point. All right. So the next thing is, the big one is crude protein. All right. You know, I, I guess briefly explain what that means and what levels you should expect, or I guess what you would consider acceptable. So it's so funny you say it as a big thing, because in a lot of ways, I do not get hugely worried about the crude protein in hay. The reason for that is in everything but some of our warm season grasses are really, really low quality hay, there's generally plenty of protein. And we know we just have to fill in those gaps of other amino acids with our concentrate. So you're going to see anywhere from, you know, super low with our warm season grasses. So I've seen 6% crude protein hay 
that's going to be lower quality. I'd say generally for your average horse, anything that's 10% protein and above is going to be pretty decent. If it's lower than that, sometimes we just add a ration balancer to fill in some gaps. And, you know, our cool season grasses are going to be a lot of times 13, 14, even 15 or 16% crude protein. So think like your orchard grasses. Timothy tends to be 10 to 12 a lot of times. And then if you have some alfalfa in the mix, it can get quite a bit higher. It wouldn't be unusual to find a hay that's 22% crude protein if it's heavy on the alfalfa. Is that more protein than the horse needs? Yes. Is it a problem? Generally, no, unless they have an underlying kidney issue. So there's a pretty wide range of crude protein that we would call acceptable for horses. The only time we get super worried is if you have a high protein hay with a horse with a kidney issue, or sometimes like if you're just feeding, for example, coastal Bermuda grass and you're not feeding some other type of hay as well then maybe we might need to supplement that with some more good quality protein than we would otherwise. But this lets us know that information. It, it does. It does. And, you know, crude protein is always the, the benchmark, right, of uh, the old nutrition. But I, I like how you've explained uh, how we've gotten away from that as a major benchmark. And, and again, I want to reiterate, feeding those extra amino acids that the horse's needs is, is, is very, very important. All right. There's a couple of scary terms that, that, you know, looking at a hay analysis and it, 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 I think you're explaining it beautifully. I, I'm already anticipating it, but the difference is with acid detergent fiber or ADF and neutral detergent fiber NDF, I guess if you could just briefly explain what those are and what levels you would find acceptable. Sure. So I know they do sound kind of scary, but they're just both different ways that we're measuring the components of fiber. So we're feeding forage for that fiber component. And you guys all know, because we talked about it a bunch, how important that is for a healthy digestive tract. And it's where the calories and hay are coming from. So these values give us really two different things, which is the digestibility of the hay and the palatability of the hay. So I'll talk about that in a second, but to categorize or give you a definition. So neutral detergent fiber or NDF is going to be cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin. Those three are just different components of fiber. Cellulose and hemicellulose are very digestible. Lignin is that indigestible type fiber. It's not truly fiber, but we group it in. And as it gets higher, your hay gets stemmier. Acid detergent fiber takes it a step further and it's just cellulose and lignin. So it takes that hemicellulose out. And the reason they're called neutral detergent and acid detergent is actually based on the lab method that's used. So you would mix up this stock solution. The first one is the neutral stock solution and you'd put it in this little machine with the neutral stock solution for an hour. You'd rinse it a bunch of times and then as the second step to get your acid detergent, you would put an acidic detergent. And all those are doing is they're washing out different components, which allows us to just then segregate the types that we're looking for. So I hope that made sense. But ultimately, um, they're just based on the lab methods and they're telling us about the components of fiber. I will tell you, these are the first things that I, my eye is drawn to generally after moisture, always moisture number one. But ADF and NDF are just where my eyes jump next because they're such key indicators of the quality of hay. So 
NDF, you know, is going to be somewhere between, say, generally 40 to 60 percent. The lower the number, the higher the quality of the hay. And this is our indicator of palatability. So people are sometimes surprised when I look at a hay analysis and I go, are they leaving some of this behind? They're like, wow, you've never seen the hay. How do you know that? I know that because of the NDF value. So once hay gets above about 65% NDF, just really stemmy, it's not very palatable. So horses tend to leave it behind. Two issues there. One, they're wasting it. So we're, you know, wasting money. But two, even the parts that they do eat, they're not getting a lot of calories out of it because it's very uh, stemmy, undigestible as hay. So for NDF, lower is better. So high quality hay would be like 40 to 50% NDF. We call moderate quality 50 to 60% and anything above 60% would be low quality hay. And along those lines, looking at ADF, again, lower is better. This is the cellulose and lignin. So the more mature the hay is, the higher this number gets and it gets stemmier the more mature it is. So a really good hay would have 30 to 35% ADF. Moderate quality we'd call 35 to 40%. And then above 40% is going to be that low quality hay. They're just going to eat less of it. And it's going to be less calorie dense because there's more of that indigestible fiber in it. You explained that very well. Thank you, Nicole. It's, it's, they are scary terms, but that makes absolute sense. And, and I do want to tell the listeners in our show notes, we will actually break these down and then have those range values uh, that Dr. Rambo is talking about. So you can always refer back to that without having to re-listen to the entire podcast. So a few more, starch is, is one that we generally look at. So what, what are some levels in there that you would find acceptable? Starch is generally going to be very low. And the reason for that is if you're thinking about your grass type haze, it's the majority of what we feed, even our alfalfas, they're not storing the carbohydrates as starch. Even when they're really mature, you don't get huge seed heads on grass type haze, for example. Seed heads is where starch is stored. The exception to that would be if we were feeding a small grains hay that had the actual small grains. So like an oat hay, for example, that had whole oats, then your starch could get high. And that's concerning, especially if you have a metabolic horse. But I would say, generally speaking, most of the hay samples I see are less than 2% starch, a lot of times around 1%. So very low. And then just to add to that, the NSC values, the non-structural carbohydrates, you know, to, I guess not all hay analysis might include that, right? Or do they do? You know, that is something that I would recommend you double check when you send it out. Sometimes you have to ask for some of these values to be broken out specifically. So NSC for hay is going to be the combination of water-soluble carbohydrates, WSC, plus your starch. So WSC is going to contain your simple sugars and fructans, and we do see fructans in grasses. We've talked about them in past podcasts quite a bit, um, and they can magnify the result of the simple sugars on the horse's insulin response. So that can have some meaning for your insulin-resistant horse. So when we're talking about NSC, so your non-structural carbohydrates and hay, it's the combination of water-structural carbohydrates plus starch. And you may see different combinations of those numbers on a hay test. And if you're confused, 
do not hesitate to call the lab. There will be someone there who can define those for you and help you work through those if for some reason you get the results back and you're not sure exactly what they've put on the page. And then just to kind of try to wrap some of this up, uh, the minerals and vitamins, are there any ones that you would particularly look at? So generally, we don't spend the money to test vitamins. That would be very expensive. And we know that most of our vitamins break down really quickly in the hay. So I basically give hay a a zero value for vitamins because in the first month or two of storage, they break down. When it comes to minerals, the one that I'm most commonly looking at is our calcium and phosphorus especially if we have breeding horses. So your ideal calcium to phosphorus would be one to two parts calcium to one part phosphorus. And that's the range we want to keep it in for pregnant and lactating brood mares and then our growing horses. It's very important that we stay in that tight range because it affects how the foal grows and it can increase your risk of developmental orthopedic disorders significantly if we get that balance out of whack. Especially when we're talking about a breeding farm, that's something I always want to know. And just to give you a quick example, I consulted on a case once where, you know, the foals were very unthrifty looking, but anytime the owners increase their growth feed kind of to the levels that they should have been getting, their joints would blow up. Well, I went out and I looked at the hay and it was maybe 10% clover and clover is a legume. Legumes like clover and alfalfa are high in calcium. But you would think only 10% wouldn't throw that balance out of whack. Well, the good news is I did not just eyeball it. I actually, you know, took a sample, helped them send it out. And the calcium to phosphorus ratio in that hay was five parts calcium to one part phosphorus. The good news is that we have some products that are designed to balance those high calcium hays. Um, They're called alpha essentials and alpha growth. As soon as we put those foals on the correct product, that was balanced to that high calcium, they grew fine with no issues. So that calcium to phosphorus balance matters a lot in our breeding animals. The other thing that can happen, and it's very rare, but you can have thyroid issues if your phosphorus is higher than your calcium. I had a case like that not too long ago. And unfortunately that just came down to the way the field was being fertilized. So you can find some weird things there. But for your mature non-breeding horse, they can tolerate a little bit wider calcium to phosphorus range, up to seven parts calcium to one part phosphorus, as long as they're getting their minimum phosphorus requirement and a phosphorus deficiency would be incredibly rare. So that is something that we look at, most important when we're talking about our breeding animals, but in terms of troubleshooting, sometimes we find some interesting things there as well that can affect the health of the horse. All right, final question. What is the RFV value and what does it mean? Ooh, interesting question. So that is the relative feed value. And it's actually a calculation. It is based on the legume, so alfalfa specifically, fiber values. And it was developed as a way to sell hay to dairy farms. So it's really not meant for horses originally. Um, It was... It was meant to be a quick way to capture the value of alfalfa hay so they could sell it at auctions. However, you know, because it's based on the fiber values, it does give us a way to do like a real quick glance and get an idea of the quality of the hay. Because as the fiber values go up, the RFV goes down. So I would say 
you know, most moderate quality horse hay is going to be around 100 RFV. If you see something down like 80, and then you would cross-reference that number, you would see your fiber values are really high. And we'd be getting into that range of hay that's just not as palatable, not as calorie dense. It's just not going to be something your horses love to eat, and they probably won't maintain their weight as well either. So, you know, that can be a real quick way we can glance and get, you know, a general idea of the quality of the hay. But we would want to dig into those other numbers as well. Well, I think we'll leave it there. I, it, I think this is a very important podcast for our listeners, and I hope they enjoyed it. And again, the show notes will have these values for you, so you can go back and reference them. General, broad recommendations. And as always, any questions, please reach out to the Tribute team. They can help you walk you through this. Yeah, absolutely. We are always happy to look at a hay analysis and kind of talk you through it and help you pick products that best balance the hay and the goals for your horse and all of this. Great. Thanks, Nicole. Take care. Thanks so much, Chris.